I like to reuse things. Like, I don't like new production. I don't like that we just keep pumping things out for people to just use it up and throw away. So I, I really kind of don't like new houses. I would rather buy an old house that is on the road to being forgotten or being in trouble of being torn down or whatever. I mean, you know, I've only owned a couple that were actually probably, you know, on the verge of being torn down that we, you know, completely rebuilt from the inside out. Like I say, I try to like give new life to something old like that. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with my own brother, Joel Spitz. Joel's history of having an interest in buying houses started all the way back in fourth grade, but he bought his first investment house back in 2011 at the age of 24. In total, he's owned 14 houses, including the one he lives in, and two pieces of land, and is in possession of 11 units still today. He formed an LLC in 2020 called Revision Homes and has a goal of buying eight more units this year. As of the time of this recording, he has two for this year, a lead on another two, in addition to potentially being a partner on a 10-unit apartment building. Our conversations range from some of the notable lessons he's learned over the years to current projects and what he likes to do to unwind from his demanding schedule. So just sit back, relax, and get ready for Joel Spitz's journey with Revision Homes. So welcome to the Juxpose Journeys podcast. So happy to have you on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. No, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to pencil me in. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, I guess for anyone listening out there, what does like the typical work week look for you? Because I know you're obviously a very busy guy. Well, right now it's pretty awesome because right now I'm laid off. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's fantastic. Um but normally it's pretty terrible in um six days a week uh right now we're down to nine hours a day so that's good down to nine hours a day (laughs) yeah pretty much man i mean and then the six days a week i mean either nine hours a day or six days a week i mean but they're like oh yeah let's let's do both yeah but this is down from 11 and a half hours a day six days a week so you know, I guess I, that is brutal. I, I know it's so funny cause it's a, almost a completely different mindset and stigma with, with getting laid off working at General Motors, at least from your standpoint. And usually people would get really bummed out. And when you tell someone that they're laid off, like, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that and everything, but you're just all smiles when you're laid off. I was, man, I could barely sleep when I found out I was getting laid off. I was so excited. I was like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I'm going to finally take a break. And that's bad that it gets to that point. It's bad that they drive us to that point because your job shouldn't be like that. It should be that you're happy to, you know, not if even not even happy to go in, but happy to, you know, to be doing it or whatever. But you get your little bit of time to recharge. But I'll tell you, man, after working six days a week, every single week, and then getting one day off over and over again for years, it's it, it makes you really ready to be laid off. Yeah. No, I can completely imagine that. And I mean, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around and and try to fathom, I mean, working that volume, but then in addition to that, having any sort of free time and side projects and everything too, because obviously the reason why I brought you on here too is to talk about your houses and Mm -hmm. that GM is just one part of the equation that takes up so much of your week. So it's, I find it incredibly admirable that you're still able to take on these different passions and side practices that you have well thanks man i appreciate that yeah definitely so yeah so i mean obviously since we're here to talk about houses and stuff like that i know you started revision homes last year but i know your interest in owning homes came much before then so why don't you start by explaining where your interest in buying houses first began first began yeah go back all the way to the beginning oh boy um well i remember as a kid that like when I'd go to the grocery store with, with my dad, whenever we'd go to leave, he would always pick up the homes for sale thing. And I don't know if it was like those, those free magazines that they had, like at the, 
entrance or exit of the grocery store. And I don't know if like they were like, if it was while he was looking for the house that we live in now back in 93, or if it was like, if that's what started it, but then he just kept picking them up. But I remember like him always grabbing those and he would look at houses and, you know, he would look at like, you know, I don't remember if he'd look at like the nicer houses, like, oh yeah, look at that one. That one's cool. But I always remember, you know, I've, I've been kind of cheap my whole life and I would look at it and I'd be like, oh man, like, look at this, this house is, you know, $30,000 or this house is $50,000 and it looks nice. And, you know, even though that might sound like a lot to a eight year old, I was like, well, when I'm older, I'll be working and I'll have money and I'll be able to buy something like this. And I don't know. I was just kind of always fascinated with it. And I don't know if, if that came first or if hearing like, you know, like our parents owned their house, but I remember like I had friends who, you know, I'd hear that their parents rented and I, you know, I was like, so these people like pay to rent a house from someone. And I'm like, well, what if I rented somebody a house? Like I would probably make money on that. Even if I didn't like make money, I would at least, you know, have somebody else buy a house for me. And like, I just, I was always thinking of ways to make money. I mean, any way I could make money. Cause I just, I don't know. I knew that was part of life that you have to make money if you want to be a person in the world today, or at least in the U S you have to make money. So mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid, I've, I don't know. I've just always been fascinated with it. And that was probably where it started. I think I was in, I'll never forget. I was in fourth grade. We were in the computer lab and I don't even know what we were supposed to be doing, but I, that's like one of my memories is that in fourth grade, that was when I decided that I wanted to buy houses to rent out. And I was like, even if, you know, like, I don't know, I guess I must've asked my parents about mortgages because I remember thinking like, you know, as long as the rent paid for most of the mortgage, then, you know, I, if I only had to make up a little bit extra money, then I would, you know, eventually own this house. And that was I guess my plan. <laughs> no, that's so cool though. I find it so funny that even as an eight year old, you're, you had real estate on the mind and investments and stuff like that. And meanwhile, I was playing Mega Man X or. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so... most people are playing Mega Man X. I just, I don't know. I've just always thought that don't, yeah, don't, don't rip on yourself too hard. I probably did stuff <laughs> like that too. I just feel like I was always an old man growing up. <laughs> No, that's so cool though. And I mean, obviously it's, it's been paying off and it's, it's, um, a really great, I guess, you know, obsession and passion to have and everything like that. And very practical too. And I know that you primarily wanted to rent out houses and stuff as a kid. I know you've done a few flips, so you primarily like mm-hmm. to rent the houses you buy, correct? Well, I do. Yeah. Cause I've, you know, I've flipped a couple, but like the thing with flipping them is like, I remember uh, it's a Robert Kiyosaki quote that just really resonated with me. He wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad for anybody who doesn't know. Um, as he said, like the reason he doesn't like flipping houses is because he's like it takes so much energy and effort to find this stupid thing. He's like, you know, you find a house that all the numbers make sense and everything is good, and then you put your time and your energy and you know making it how it needs to be, and then like why would you sell it like? then you just got to go do it again. And, you know, flipping house is more of a job. And I'm, I'd like to retire at some point in my life. And if I just keep selling everything that I buy, then I'll, I'll always have to keep working. Where if I hold on to what I buy and just make sure that I buy it right and make sure that everything makes sense, then eventually I'll be able to stop working. And that's my goal. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome though. And yeah, no, um, I think that definitely makes a lot of sense too with flipping. I mean, you're continuously having to find new houses and have to work and yeah, you, the, the money that you make immediately after selling it is enticing in its own, but then you have to go back, reinvest it and then start the whole process over again. Well, even though the numbers are smaller with running it out, I mean, you can count on that money coming in pretty much every month, which is very enticing in its own way yeah pretty much because yeah i mean like i say i mean even with with buying rentals you can't stop after one or two well i mean i guess it's up to it's up to whatever anybody wants to you know what their goals are in life but you know i mean even after you get done with one you know in my in my goals is 
I would want to buy another one. And then as soon as I get done with that, I'll want to buy another one. But every one that I put in the books is a little bit more in my passive income every month, which I'm trying to, you know, build up to the point of retiring. Yeah. So. No, that's awesome. And uh, so how many houses do you currently own? So right now I am at nine. I'm under contract on a duplex though right now, and that'll put me at 11. Since this recording, Joel has closed on that duplex, which are the two units from this year that I mentioned previously. He's already started work on the new purchase. Awesome. So how many have you bought within the year then if your goal is eight units for the year? Well, I'm under contract on a duplex, so once that closes, right now I've bought zero this year. Um, But like I say, once that closes, then that'll be two units and then I'll have to do six more. I've got a lead on another duplex. So as soon as this one's done, I'll be working with the guy on that. Or I might start working with him a little bit before. It just kind of depends. Um, we've been, you know, we've been talking a little bit. And then I've also got another thing that's been a back and forth on an apartment building. But we'll see where that goes. That's been like a thing in the making for like three years. But it sounds like it might actually happen now. So Nice. Yeah, so definitely staying busy with uh, all the different projects and stuff going on. Um, I guess let me back up for a second, too, and ask about that first investment property you got. Um, Because I know that your interest in real estate started in elementary school, but I feel like it's one of those things where even if you have an interest in something, you can definitely get cold feet or something when it comes to actually, you know, pulling the trigger and actually doing it. So can you tell me about your experience of your first investment property? It's my first one, yep. That was um, that was in Holt. I remember that was uh, I bought that place in late 2011. Yeah, that's a pretty good story. I had looked at so many houses leading up to then. Like I knew, you know, for years that I wanted to buy houses, and I, you know, well, like we say, ever since elementary school. But even like into my adult years, like I knew I wanted to buy houses. But same thing. Like you, I'd go look at it. I'd run the numbers. I would know the numbers would make sense, but I would just like. I'd almost get not so much afraid of buying it, but I'd almost be like, well, what if there's a better deal that comes up? Or, oh, well, is this really the one I should be buying? Maybe I should buy something different. And I would just keep looking, and then I would look, and then that one that I was looking at would would sell. And then I would just keep looking, and I'd be like, well, I think the numbers make sense on this one, but you know, what if this happens or what if, you know, what if there's a better one that comes up? Then I won't be able to buy it because I'll have all my money tied up in this house then I wouldn't put an offer in on it. And well, what ended up happening on that, that one in 2011 was I looked at that house like three or four times and I kept looking at it. And I remember that I wanted to run numbers one more time. And I remember I was on second shift at the time and I had to be to work by two thirty in the afternoon. And I told myself, all right, I'm going to get up tomorrow at 8am and I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to go look at this other house and, um, and then I'm run the numbers on that and just make sure that that, you know, that might not be a better deal. And then I remember that I slept in till like noon and I was so mad at myself that I was like, I was like, fuck this. I'm buying that, that house today. So I called my realtor and I said, Hey, what are you doing right now? And he goes, Oh, nothing. I was about to go to lunch. I said, all right, well, let's write an offer on that house on Washington. He's like, all right. So I went in and I wrote the offer that day, um, on the house I looked at four times and then, um, yeah, they accepted, I think, the next day, and I haven't stopped since. No, that's so cool, and I, and I love that story, and I, I mainly just wanted to hear it again and for everyone oh, okay. listening. <laughs> but no, that's that's so good, though, and I identify with, with so many of those different things, too. I think that idea translates to other areas, too, about kind of getting that analysis paralysis stage. I mean, even speaking from my own perspective with blogging, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would sit down and research these different hosting sites to use or, you know, different different platforms to use or even just a different microphone for this podcast. How much time I would spend just researching stuff and having that same thought of, well, maybe there's a better one out there or maybe there's one that I could get more of a use from and um, is a little bit cheaper or, at, like I said, at a better value. I would spend so much time researching that stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm like, what what am I doing? Like, I just need to buy something. I mean, nothing's going to be perfect. And that's just something I have to learn along the way. So 
I think that idea translates to so many different things. So yeah, no, I'm so I'm so glad you were able to still pull the trigger and just get up and do it because that's really the important part. That's the thing that you learn like as you go is like when I sat there and I just contemplated going back and forth like, oh, well, if I don't buy this, then, you know, should I buy that? Or when you just keep doing that over and over again, you realize later that you could buy both, you know, like even like right now, like, uh, like I say, I'm under contract on that duplex, but I'm already talking to somebody on their duplex. And whenever they're ready, you know, it just sounds like they're gonna be ready around May. Whenever they're, but whenever they're ready, I'll, I'll just buy that. Like you figure out a way, you know, you buy both, mm -hmm. but you don't really, you know, that's kind of scary when you're first starting out or you don't think that's possible, but I mean, anything's possible. You put your mind to it. You just got to figure out a way, you know, it's, mm -hmm. I'm hardcore paraphrasing it, but there's something like there's no, nothing's impossible. It's just, you haven't found a way yet. And I forget who said that, but I'll probably think of it later after this is over with. The quote specifically goes, impossible only means that you haven't found the solution yet, but the author is anonymous. So for Joel not to know the source is totally understandable. So um, I guess what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned after buying that first house in Washington? Oh, boy. Um, just buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, let's see. Man, I learned a lot on that house. Like, a whole lot. With time frames, with... Uh, contractors with making sure you get a price from them before they start you know i've found some people that are awesome that are really honest and i found some people that are pretty terrible mm -hmm. um it's a it's a real learning curve but honestly the best way to learn is just to get in there and, and do it because as much as you might prepare and prepare once you actually start doing it that's when you'll really learn like there's some things you just can't prepare for some things that are just going to absolutely catch you off guard. Now you can, you know, you can minimize that quite a bit by, you know, being in the field or, or learning about things. I mean, I've, you know, I've been around different types of construction stuff almost my whole life, you know, between when my dad built his, you know, his garage when we were growing up, like me helping with that, or when my uncle built his house, or, you know, different family members built their decks, or, you know, remodeled their bathrooms, I'd always try to be there learning about stuff, just because I wanted to know about it, because I knew it was a good skill to have, and, you know, being around that really helped me out later on to, you know, kind of know the ins and outs of things, I say it's all, it's just a learning curve, I guess. Yeah, no, so true, I mean, yeah, I mean, just rolling up your sleeves and just doing it is really the most important part. And no, it's so true. Like what you said, I mean, there you can prepare all you want, but there's going to definitely be things that catch you off guard. And the only way you're going to figure that out or learn something from it is by actually just doing it. So no, that's so true. Oh, yeah. I think, you, yeah, you already touched on this a little bit before, but do you have any specific properties in mind that you either wish you would have jumped on and bought or ones that you regret selling? Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> I mean, geez, we went for that run yesterday, and I remember we ran through uh, through a neighborhood in Holt that was off of um, Fay. And I remember we wrote we, as we ran through there. I was like, oh, I was like, hey, you remember when I looked at that house? And I don't, I don't remember if you did remember it or not. But I was like, yeah, like I was thinking about buying that house. But that was when I still was like confused about what I wanted to do because I was, you know, I had, I'd say like a mentor who was you know, all about flipping. He thought rentals were terrible. And, um, he, you know, so he just told me like flipping is the way to go. And I was looking at this one house to flip and the numbers even did kind of work for flipping, but I just didn't want to get into it at the time. But I mean, that house today is probably worth about, I don't know, 160, 170. And I turned it down at 35,000, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, and then, uh, another one was the one next to our parents' house. And, uh, that house is probably about worth the same and that house was also i think like thirty nine thousand, and i think about that and um and then even that first house on washington that i sold like you know i sold it when i should have just refinanced it and pulled my money out and just held on to it because i know it'd be a good rental today it's a good area it's a nice house just a good good little house but you know yeah 
it, it's funny. I was I was half expecting you to bring up the the one right next to our parents' house. I I knew yeah. that had to have been in the list. It's oh yeah, that one's that one's high up on the list, especially because every time I go over there, I see it. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I was just about to say that. No, it's it's so true. To, yeah, to anyone listening, I mean, it's so funny because whenever we go to our parents' house to go visit them, I, I feel like you just look out the window and look at that house, and you're just like, I could have bought that house. Yeah. <laughs> could have bought it for a good price like i say it's a great neighborhood it's uh it's, it was a nice house all it needed was a little bit of roof repair over the garage i mean and then i would have redone the floors painted inside but honestly it was a good sturdy house it had good mechanics it had i mean it was in good shape it was just it was a foreclosure people fell mm-hmm. on hard times and you know it was in you know 9 2010 2011 you know stint yeah like i say there was there's was, looking back I know I could have bought that house. I know there were ways I could have made it happen. But at the time, I just, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'm, I was probably like, oh, I'm already working on one or something. I don't remember if I already had one at the time or not. But, I mean, I know that's that you can do two at a time because I've, I've done that. I mean, mm-hmm. even even like in, uh, I was thinking back to that semester in 2012 when I, I started going back to school in 2011, late 2011. I took one one class after work. So, you know, all this time I've been, you know, working a minimum of 40 hours at the shop. And I remember we were working 40 hours at that time in 2011. I started taking a class after work on Wednesdays. I took a sales class. And uh, that was, I think, the spring of 2011. Then I took the fall off because I wanted to buy a house. So I did. Bought a house in the fall. And then spring 2012, I'm like, all right, I'll just take one class again. So I took a class in the spring of of, uh, of 2012. And then the fall of 2012, I was like, you know what? I'm going to flip a house, and I'm going to take two classes. I can do this. I was like, we're only working 40 hours. It'll be all right. So I put an offer in on one house. And people told me, no, it was an off-market deal. And they said, no, nah, that's just not enough money. And I said, like, that's fine. So I didn't buy that one, and I bought another one. I started working on that. And I'm working my 40 hours. I'm taking two classes and I'm working on that house and then those people call me back and they say hey you know we've been thinking about it we haven't had any other offers and honestly your offer's not bad like we're just going to take that it's like oh oh okay like I'm not going to turn it down you know so all right I'll buy that one so I bought that house so now I've got two projects going on I'm taking two classes and I'm working 40 hours and it was like right after I bought that second house that my one class dropped the ball on us that we were going to be reading like five books that semester. And it was a history class and I really like history. And I was like, okay, Oh God, this is going to be, this is going to be rough, but okay, I can do this. And then I went to work that night and then they came out with a Saturday list and we were working every Saturday from here on out. I was like, Oh, wonderful. So I had to figure out, how to make two classes work with one being like feeling like two classes in its own flip two houses and work 49 to 50 hours a week. And I did it. I mean like, you know, four hours of sleep every single night, absolutely zero social life. Um, but I got through it and I just, you know, whatever I'm feeling like, man, like this is just too hard or whatever. I think back, you know, to 2012 i'm like if i could do the two houses and that was back when i was doing a lot of the work too like i would still actually go over and pull wire and and uh you know put in the water heater and stuff like that was before i was hiring all that Mm -hmm. out yeah no i i think back to that too when you were i don't even know how you got through that either because i was living in saginaw at the time and we would still talk regularly but yeah I, i i don't know how you were able to juggle all that and i just remember you would have to take time off work just to get caught up on one of your classes or get caught up on one of your houses. Like if you were taking time off work, but it wasn't like actual time off work to just relax and go on vacation. It was literally just get caught up on everything else. (laughs) Well, I'll never forget the one day when like it was all coming to a head and I had like, I had two chapters I had to read in that class and do this little, like, you know, this fill out this little thing on it. it had to be in before midnight and I got out of work every night at 1030 and I would get home by 11. So that would give me one hour to try to get everything done and submitted. And I remember I asked my boss if I could just go after last break, which was at nine o'clock. I'm like, you know, that would just help me out tremendously. And she did let me go, but she like made me feel bad about it. She's like, oh, blah, blah. Well, you know, 
you just need to manage your time better. I went to school, like I went to school and worked, you know, while I was, you know, getting my degree and this and that. It's like, okay, you probably worked at like Baskin Robbins and you probably worked like part time. Like, I mean, another wrong with Baskin Robbins or anything like that, but I don't think that you, you worked 50 hours and you were taking two classes and you were flipping two houses, like, but you know, whatever. She let me go. She just, like, if that's, if you're going to like parade me to like, but still let me go, then whatever, just parade me. I just, I just want to <laughs> yeah. go home. No, that's, uh, that's wild. But yeah, no, I'm glad you were able to get through it and everything. And, and yeah, that's, it makes so much sense that you just look back on that and just say, oh, I can, I can handle whatever life throws at me now. I mean, just look back at that year. <laughs> <laughs> yep, pretty much. But no, so good. Um, and you mentioned before about kind of running the numbers on houses. Um, so what are some of the main components you look at when buying a potential investment property? So main things I look at, and, you know, I I, I get kind of loose with this sometimes. Well, especially when I start wondering, like, you know, trying to find stuff because lately it's been really bad. But I used to focus in on certain neighborhoods, neighborhoods that I felt were good neighborhoods to live in, where you're going to get a tenant who's going to take care of the place, where the rent also, you know, covers the mortgage, covers the, you know, the expenses, and then, you know, makes you a little bit of return on your money. So basically, I just, you know, I run the numbers on what the mortgage would be and what my repairs would be, because obviously every house I buy, I put money into, I don't buy it and then just turn it around. I mean, I, I try to make them nice. I try to, you know, like one thing I always do is I put a new water heater in, I'll usually update the plumbing and then I'll, I'll switch over the electric to be, um, all on GFCIs, which is basically like, cause I like older houses. Cause another like side story to my life is like, I like to reuse things. Like I don't like new production. I don't like that. We just keep pumping things out for people to just use it up and throw away. So I, I really kind of don't like new houses. I would rather buy an old house that is on the road to being forgotten or being in trouble of being torn down or whatever. I mean, you know, I've only owned a couple that were actually probably, you know, on the verge of being torn down that we, you know, completely rebuilt from the inside out. Like I say, I try to like give new life to something old like that. So like, you know, I buy houses that are built in the twenties and they'll have like three different types of wiring in them. They'll have the old knob and two wiring. So that's like, you know, like one of the oldest forms of wiring where they would actually run the wires separately. Um, they didn't come in like one bundle like they do now. Um, almost like on the cartoons, like back in the day, like with, uh, either Tom and Jerry or like Sylvester and Tweety, like, um, when either one would run into like the little mouse hole and, uh, you know, the cat would go to try to try to pull, you know, Jerry out, end up pulling the two wires together and shock himself. So like that's in still in a lot of houses like around Lansing and just around the US. So I try to, you know, update that. Yeah, no, for sure. And <laughs> it's funny because uh, the knowledge I have about wiring and stuff is, is pretty much anything I've learned in Tom and Jerry or, or <laughs> Looney Tunes, like what you said. And, and I was like, oh, just don't put those two wires together because that's bad. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> But that was yeah. like an art, man. I mean, you look in like those old houses, like where they used to run all that knob and two, like it was, that was a job. Like they'd only put like one plug, like in a bedroom. But like, you know, when you look at how much work they had to do to, to put knob and two in, and it's also the same thing with like lath and plaster. Like anybody that wants to talk about drywall being hard is ridiculous because lath and plaster is the way that they used to finish all interior walls, you know, leading up to World War II where they would put all these little strips of wood on the wall and then they would mix plaster and then they would spread it across the wall and make it flat. So, I mean, you know, if your house was built before like 1942, more than likely you've got lath and plaster, which was mm -hmm. like I say, just such a, such a laborious time consuming job to do. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, it's like a lost art now, you know? Yeah. And I find it interesting depending on on your location and where the market is i guess how the houses are different and and how you would restore them and the whole process being different because i'm just thinking of like you know if you were to flip out of out of state houses and just looking at west coast homes i feel like they're very spanish influenced and instead of like actual 
exterior siding on them. They have like stucco. Well, it depends. It depends on like, you know, what part of the country you're in or part of the world for that matter. But like, you know, like obviously in the Midwest here and in the, you know, on the East Coast or anywhere further north, you're going to have a lot more insulation. You're going to have, you know, thicker walls. You're going to have vinyl windows where like, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, everything is sealed off. You're probably going to have carpet or hardwood where maybe you're out, you know, Southwest, you're going to have more tile You'd probably be on a slab out there where, you know, also in the Midwest, we've got basements, you know, out, out West, you're just, everything just kind of changes, you know, for what your area is like, you know, my buddy that lives down in North Carolina, like, you know, it's rare to find a basement down there. Everybody's on either a, a slab or a, I don't know if they do crawl spaces or not, but they just don't have basements. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it just varies. It varies for what part of the country you're in, for what the weather's like and, you know, another thing like out in California, there's a lot more stuff you have to do with like earthquakes, mm-hmm. like, you know, a lot of tie down straps and different types of things that you have to have for, you know, for when they get earthquakes. Yeah. And uh, I guess you're lucky you're not flipping houses in Texas or something. We have to deal with potentially rattlesnakes in the basements. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Andy says that about uh about his house down in North Carolina. Like he was telling me that they looked at this one house and um, so it was the house they really wanted to buy, but it had in the disclosure that it had a uh, reptile problem, which means it has snakes. So yeah. it had a basement. He's like, and it says that there's, you know, there's snakes living in here. So he's like, yeah, we didn't buy that house. <laughs> but so interesting. It'd be hard because like knowing me, I like a deal and I would like to find, you know, my niche um, of, you know, what kind of house I'd buy. So if I live down there, uh, I'd probably just get a good snake guy and I'd buy those those problem reptile houses and I would just have my snake guy take care of it, you know. Um, that's, <laughs> you would just be known as a snake guy? No, I would not be known as a snake guy. I would be known <laughs> as a guy who buys the snake houses, but I would have a really good snake guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be my thing. But No, you know, for you, sure. You just find your niche. Yeah, and that makes sense. And this is something, um, and now I don't know too much about this, but uh, something I, I stumbled upon recently that I thought was really interesting, like in these New England homes, and speaking of geography and stuff like that too, didn't they have something called like witches' staircases? Uh, witches' staircase. Uh, they might. I know they had witches' windows, which are on like a 45-degree angle because they would say that a, a witch couldn't fly in to your house if it was on mm. an angle like that. So they would have witches' windows. Oh, I find that so interesting. Witches' staircase. I don't know much about that. I'd have to look up on that. They were the, and I'm probably butchering this really bad right now, but they were the ones that the, the stairs, the steps themselves are really weird looking because they, they look like you kind of have oh. to step on each step individually yes. because it looks, it says witches can't climb them. Nope. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There is, there's a thing like that. Yep. And that is in the new England area. Yeah. Where the steps, they they're staggered. Um, yeah. Like each step would be, I mean, obviously all steps are different height, but like the same plane of a step would be at different heights. They're kind of crazy to look up. Yeah. They're, they're interesting, but yeah, they, their thought behind that was that a witch couldn't come get you upstairs. Like they couldn't climb your steps. Um, so, you know, you put in a witch's window upstairs and a witch's staircase and you're theoretically your upstairs bedrooms would be safe. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff like that. Yeah. I find that stuff so interesting too. Like just kind of different folklore and things behind and, and how it manifested its way into literally the design of different homes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of that stuff out there. It's really interesting to look up really. I mean you know, between that and then even just like, you know, stuff that you can even find. I mean, you don't find a lot of it around Lansing, but like, um, you know, like the old ice boxes, like the ways they would deliver ice, like, you know, because people didn't have refrigerators and, um, you know, and like butler's pantries or, mm-hmm. um, just different, you know, things in houses that, you know, we don't really think about. I mean, even, you, you know, and then even into like houses that were built right after the war when they were trying to hurry up and build or, um, you know, for all the, the veterans coming home from World War II, like, you know, sometimes houses would just be small and they'd be just kind of slapped together. But it was because, you know, just a cheap house for, you know, for a new family starting off, you know, you didn't really spend a lot of time indoors. That's why, you know, sometimes a lot of these old houses from the, you know, the 40s might have rooms that are like, you know, 
eight by eight or eight by nine because all they needed in there was a bed, you know, and, you know, the kids went outside all day, Mm -hmm. you know, the the people worked, you know, it wasn't, you didn't spend a lot of time inside. You were mainly outside. No, so true. I mean, it it literally lived up to the definition of bedroom. It, it, you had a bed in the room and that was it. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's exactly, that's exactly where it came from. Yeah. Oh, you that's know. that's so wild, and just how things have changed so much. I mean, even just thinking of the the COVID times and the modern times now, to where people are primarily working from home, and you know, who knows if that's going to be the the new normal for a lot of industries, even after COVID's done, to where people are going to have to have like an actual office space you'll, and things like that. You'll probably see that change. I mean, the home office has already been you know a thing mm-hmm. for the last probably what thirty years or so, but I bet that you'll see more of that of of you know a setup area and designed you know in new houses for mm-hmm. definitely having an office or having some some workspace you know aside from the regular living space right to where i mean now i mean yeah it's it's becoming more normal now to where it'd almost be like a standard in houses to yeah. have an office yep absolutely I know you touched on it briefly before, too, about some houses that you have under contract right now, so I guess what all do you have in the works for projects right now? Well, for in the works right now, I just have that that one duplex, and then I also have a house that I picked up last year that is right near Old Town that um, we're going to turn into an Airbnb. It's a big old house. It's a four-bedroom, two-bath, and um, I'm going to try that out as an Airbnb. It's um, it's just got a cool feel to it. So I and I wanted to do an Airbnb. Now I want to do one out of state eventually, but I want to kind of learn the ins and outs of it before I start branching out into other states. So I figure, what better place to try it than in my hometown? Um, you know, and I know it's going to be a little bit harder because we are in Lansing, but I'm close enough to Old Town, which is you know a cool part of Lansing close to downtown right there i'm close to a couple other you know you're not far from east lansing you're not far from the highway like i figure it might be a good location to try it Mm -hmm. yeah so um trying to get that up and going and then um that's taking longer than it should but I, i was like i don't know covid last year and me not really wanting to go in and clean a house mm-hmm. after random people have stayed in it kind of made me like put it on a really really far back burner yeah. Just trying to get that done now. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, and I guess speaking of Airbnbs specifically, do you have a favorite Airbnb that you've stayed in? Well, I know your favorite one is the one in Exeter in California. <laughs> I did love and that it, place. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. And I just, I think about that one just because of you saying that. Um, but man, I don't know. Like I liked, I liked staying in that yurt out in the desert in California. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. The one in Vermont, I remember just admiring the house because, like, it was just such a well-built old house. And I just remember, like, wanting to see more of the house, but we only got the upstairs portion of it. Mm -hmm. Those are the only ones that I'm thinking of right now. No, it's it's so funny, too, because, yeah, like, it's a hard question for me to answer, too. And and, um, for anyone listening, I'm sure you could probably gather this by now, but... Obviously, we're brothers and stuff, and we travel quite a bit together and stay in a ton of Airbnbs, and it's it's really hard to narrow down a favorite because they all kind of have their own unique charm and, and memories with them. And, uh, yeah, that, that place in, in Exeter you brought up, it's that was such a cool one, too, just because it was, you know, like almost like a loft above their garage, and you could look out and see kind of like the cows and the, the animals grazing in the backyard. Yeah, and it was just such a cozy feeling it was just such a, a nice little cozy loft um that we just kind of booked on a whim i was surprised that it, it was even a place like that was even available and the host was nice as can be super sweet and um yeah and i, I just think back to that uh that row house and in, in baltimore too i mean oh, that was cool really cool um host as well and everything and i was just, and mainly i think i'm just fond of that one too just because it was a really fun trip overall i mean i ran the baltimore marathon and then went back there and then they had that old clawfoot like bathtub type thing that i had to try and figure out how to how to shower and i was just exhausted <laughs> that's gonna be our issue with this place in old town because it has the main bathroom in the house has a clawfoot bathtub that doesn't have a shower mm-hmm. and i could probably set a shower up on it but it would take away from the setup of the bathroom right so there is a shower in the basement 
So I'm just going to try to make it like inviting to go down there and be like, hey, there is a shower downstairs if you don't want to, you know, take a bath, you know, (laughs) (laughs) upstairs. Like, so yeah, that's kind of my plan with that. But yeah, it's the same, same setup as that one in Baltimore. For sure. No, definitely. And I know this is kind of a heavy handed question overall, but what would you say is your ultimate goal with revision homes and just buying houses in general? Well, um, my ultimate goal, you know, it's funny because I actually, so this layoff happened at absolute perfect time because I just finished, um, the book vivid vision, which is all about like goal setting and like being really, really specific on like setting exactly where you want to be in the future. And they said, when you write your vivid vision to go somewhere where nobody is around, go out in nature. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good idea. Like, you know, so you're not influenced by anything. They're like, don't take your phone. Don't take anything. Just go be in nature and write down where you see yourself in three years. So I think I'm going to go. I haven't decided if I'm going to drive to North Carolina or to south dakota but i'm gonna go to one of those this week and just sit and just write down where i want to be my loose goal is basically that i want to i want to free myself from my job because i hate working this much i don't mind working but i i really don't like getting up at 4 30 in the morning every day going in dealing with the exact same problems that aren't getting fixed just to keep doing that day in and day out and just keep, you know, just the monotony of it. I'd rather, I'd rather be, you know, fixing actual problems. I'd rather be, you know, giving people, giving more people a nice place to live, you know, because every house that I buy that I can make nice, that I can rent out to someone is a house that, you know, one of the landlords that just, you know, paints everything white and has the nasty carpet and, you know, charges a bunch of extra money for people to have pets. Like, that's another thing. Like, I allow dogs and cats and stuff i don't i don't even charge any extra for it i just you know i just ask that they're respectful of it Mm -hmm. you know respectful of my home because i mean like what kind of life is it to not have an animal like i'm not gonna and then i'm not gonna be the guy that you know i I hate seeing when people have to rehome their animal because they're moving somewhere that won't allow them to have it i mean what like Mm -hmm. you know that's just that's just terrible like i'm not i'm not gonna do that yeah i figure the more more places i can make that I can give to people, you know, I can, I can do that more when I'm not working full time. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I'd like to get into alternative energy. That's another long-term goal of mine, but I got to sit down and actually write this plan out. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I think those are awesome goals for sure. Working on doing what you feel like you need to do and, and sustainability and fulfilling your life passion as opposed to just fixing other people's problems that aren't getting solved. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. <laughs> no. So good though. So awesome. So how can people best reach you um, regarding houses or anything like that? Well, not my LinkedIn because (laughs) I I get messages on that probably, I don't know, probably every couple of days or once a week. And I just keep going, oh, yeah, I need to check that. Oh, but once I check it for this person, I need to check it from that person from like eight months ago. And I just (laughs) I just let it keep going. So um, if you don't want a response, get a hold of me on LinkedIn. Um, If you do, um, you know, I don't even have a page for, for my, uh, revision homes. I don't have one on Instagram or anything like that. Um, but if you just, I don't know, reach out to me on Instagram, I'm from Joel S or Facebook, Joel Spitz. I mean, that's probably the best way. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's so funny. You're not alone in that, uh, LinkedIn thing either, because I'm so bad with checking LinkedIn. I'm pretty good about any other social platforms but for whatever reason. And that's like one of the more practical ones I feel like too, to where I could actually get some decent benefit from it. And I'd have people send me messages about connecting or different business opportunities or collaborations or something. And I just keep forgetting to check it and it's really bad. <laughs> well, like, you know, I, I used to look at it all the time, but a lot of times it would be like someone you could tell just sending out a mass thing to people. Right. Like, and it's like, well, like, I'm, I don't do that and I'm a real person and I'll actually sit down and help somebody like if they, if they, you know, really need it or, or really want it or whatever. Like, so I'm not going to waste my time on people who won't take the time to get to know me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I have a little higher value myself than that. Right. So I just kind of quit getting on LinkedIn, but I feel like I'm actually getting messages from people that 
are probably real now. Right. But I just, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll sit down and actually do that today. I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it, that all reminds me, I'd probably need to do the same thing too. Cause I have so many, like I'll get random emails every once in a while and say like, you know, you have 26 unread messages or people waiting to connect on LinkedIn. And they're like all people I know. And like, have been trying to connect with me and I just feel bad because I just don't get on there that often. And then when I do, I'll respond to some of the messages there. And some of them I think are actual real people, but yeah, some of them I think are the mass sent out ones. And I feel kind of bad because they'll respond right away. And then I'll take another lengthy amount of time just to respond to them. And I feel like they're trying to like build rapport with me and just kind of say, Oh, like, how's your day going? What kind of stuff do you like to do and everything? But then I just take so long to respond that not trying to string them along by any means, but it just, it's kind of how it's been going lately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But no, so good. Um, do you plan on eventually making a website or social media page for Revision Homes? I mean, I probably should. But, <laughs> I mean, the other thing is, like, like I used to manage, self-manage a lot of these properties, but I just I don't anymore. I'd rather I give them over to a property manager. Mm-hmm. They take care of it. That way I can kind of stay out of the picture because, you know, it was fine when I had – when I only had a few. But once you, you know, once you start to get even just five – and you start having problems at a couple of them and you're working a lot. It just, it gets, gets to be way too much. So, mm-hmm. um, so I set the houses up to make them nice. Cause you know, I also have a little, what the word I'm looking for is, but like any house that I rent out, I would live in. So I try to make them, you know, to that par standard. And then I, I give them over to them that way it's, um, you know, I'm out of the picture. I mean, so if I made a site, I mean, it'd be like, Hey, here's the stuff I do. But you know, if you want to rent this, you have to get a hold of my property manager and I don't know what they're going to say to you. You know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, if I did make a page like that, it would just be like, I almost feel like a self boasting thing for me, which mm-hmm. I don't really carry their way. Right. Um, so I don't know, maybe one day. No, and that, but. that makes sense too. Um, yeah, I, I can completely get it from that perspective, but, um, but at the same time too, I do think people like to follow different pages on home transformations and things like that. Yeah, and that's true. Even if they're not interested in buying I think they just kind of like to see that transformation process and stuff too. People get excited about that, even if they're not in the market to buy one or rent or anything. Well, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I will then. Cause yeah, I could just put what we're working on and then maybe it'll keep me more on task with it. Like if I yeah. know I had to post like once a week or whatever. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah. And it might, might give you some, I guess, structure in that way too. Of just, uh, it's like, Oh man, I really gotta get this house going and stuff. I mean, that's what I deal with, with yeah. the blog and podcast things all the time too. It's like, Oh, I really gotta be consistent about posting things. So I gotta stay on it. So it kind of keeps me motivated to do a little bit each day. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Cool. Well, awesome. Is there uh, anything else you wanted to add or touch on that I forgot to ask about? I'm sure there is, but I can't (laughs) think of it right now. So, (laughs) No, it's all good. No, this is a really good conversation and stuff. After we hang up, yeah, then I'll think of it. (laughs) Then you'll be like, oh, man, I forgot about all this great stuff. (laughs) Yeah, then I'll be like, oh, just add this in here. Add this in (laughs) over at this part. And then it'll just, like, absolutely not make sense. It'll be like, and then I did this, and then, and then. On the third Thursday, I like just <laughs> yeah. jumps in. You're going to make this an absolute editing nightmare for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> Perfect. Well, sounds good. No, and I, I love what you do with uh with revision homes and stuff. And I mean, I know I'm obviously probably biased with being brothers and stuff like that. But obviously, <laughs> it, like, uh, no, I think you do really cool stuff. And I think um a lot more people should know about the awesome work you do and know that you're not a typical crappy landlord and you're actually one of the good ones so <laughs> that is the nicest thing you've ever said to me <laughs> wow i really so need much. to you know, <laughs> thank you <laughs> i need to you know keep up appearances and uh <laughs> make, make anyone listening you know think that i actually care about all of this <laughs> no but I, I love all that you do with, with this and everything too and i wish you the best with with revision homes and all of your future projects well, thanks man i appreciate it No problem. All right. I'll see you later. All right. See ya.
Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to all of Joel's social media pages can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing, mixing, and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.